Hello and welcome to the Sky U Podcast by the Daily Gopher. I'm Chris, go AU Fur. With me this week is Andy, Gopher Guy 05. Hello. Blake, Iowa Gopher. Back for week two, baby. And U Street. Hey y'all. Well, the Gophers enter week two 0-1, which is not a surprising result. Uh, Ohio State obviously is a very talented team, and I think in many ways the game this past weekend went about as expected. Obviously, there were a few uh, negatives uh, to come out. Most obvious, the loss of Muhammad Ibrahim for the rest of the season with uh, what I believe was likely an Achilles tear. Did they, did they confirm that that's what it was, or did they just say he was done? Uh, Fleck, in his press conference, declined to get into details. He kind of dictated his policy that he, he leaves it up to the player to divulge the specifics of the detail. He'll confirm that he's out for the season and has to have surgery, but he did not uh, divulge the specifics, and Mo hasn't said anything either. Okay, lower leg injury, season ending. Doesn't matter what it is, it sucks. Sucks for Mo, sucks for the team. Um, but mostly, honestly, it sucks for Mo, who is, you know, already having an all-American season by rushing for, uh, you know, right around a buck fifty against a talented Ohio State defense. I think what I'm most interested in when we when we talk about the Ohio State game is what if any preseason expectations or assumptions changed for any of you? And Blake, I'm going to start with you. Uh, I would say, I mean, I wouldn't say nothing's changed. I mean, obviously, uh, losing Muhammad Ibrahim is a big blow to the offense. But in terms of, you know, preseason expectations, not much has changed for me. I, I figured this team would be 0-1 after week one. I mean, Ohio State's a very talented football team, and I think they proved that in week one. Um, P.J. Fleck teams are very rarely, if ever, finished products in week one. So I expected to see a lot of warts, a lot of mistakes, and that's exactly what happened. Um, I know some some fans will look at this and say, oh, well, defense struggled week one, so they're going to struggle the rest of the year. Uh, there's no Muhammad Ibrahim, so they won't be able to run the ball the rest of the year. But um, I believe in the concept of uh, playing the actual games and seeing if the team can improve um, from game one to game 12. And uh, That's that's crazy talk. That's a crazy concept you're you're throwing out there. I know. It's just it's just bizarre. I know. But uh, I, hopefully our listeners out there can, can ride with me on this. But, uh, yeah, for me, not much has changed. Um, I think maybe in the details a little bit just because you, you don't really know what to expect until you actually see the team play. So I think I have a little bit better idea of where they need to improve and what their sure things are. But beyond that, beyond those minor details, my outlook on the season hasn't really changed. Uh, Street or Andy, are either of you more worried about the defense given their performance against Ohio State than you were coming into the season? I don't think I'm more worried. I mean, I think we we realized that they probably were going to give up some big plays against the Ohio State wide receivers, and that's definitely what happened. Um, You know, I I think they just need to try and and draw things in and figure it out here the next couple of weeks. I mean, we, we... we figured this defense wasn't going to be, you know, back to its shutdown ways. It's definitely got some some work to do. But um, you know, I, I guess I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't say watching what Ohio State did to this defense gives me worry for the rest of the season comparatively. Street, is there anything that you're m- more optimistic about coming out of this game? 
Not really. I mean, it's in some sense, it's a preseason game. I know they're 0-1, but functionally Thursday night against Ohio State after not playing in front of fans in any real way in well over a year with a not a ton, but a fair amount of new faces. The general success for preseason game or, you know, a non-conference in basketball is win and no one gets injured. So in that case, in that sense, the game was a failure on multiple levels. But it is hard for me to believe that you take anything actually away from the first week of a season unless it's, I don't know, laughing at Nebraska. But frankly, we do that weeks 2 through 14 as well. Touche. All right, so Blake wrote a very good, in my opinion, post this week. Um, once once it was announced officially that Mo was out for the season, uh, Blake, you know, went into kind of a, a a recap of why that does not mean disaster automatically. Um, he didn't try to see the future or say everything was guaranteed to be okay, but he made a very good point, which was, I mean, Muhammad Ibrahim, like he arrived because of the exact same situation the Gophers are now facing. That's what put him on the map. That's what got him the carries to start. And he took that opportunity and ran with it. You could also look back to David Cobb as an example of a player who's done that. Um, Certainly, you know, two examples don't make a rule. But does anyone really disagree strongly with with Blake's stance on this uh, in terms of being extremely worried about the, the running backs, you know, down the, down the line behind Mo, I suppose we could say yes to generate some controversy on ye old podcast here, but practically speaking, the vast majority of what happens from a running back in college or professional football is how good the offensive line is. It turns out it's much easier to run for five yards when no one touches you for the first three. So in that sense, if one is remains bullish on the offensive line, then one should think that whoever's coming from the backfield should be fine. Andy, difference of opinion there at all? No, I mean, I obviously it's it's going to be tough. I mean, uh, you lose a, a athlete the caliber of Mo, just like we lost the athlete the caliber of, of Rodney, and and yeah, you know, I mean, there's there's going to be a, a, a steep learning curve. Um, you know, I'll be I'll be curious to see what happens and if uh, some of the some of the really younger guys seem to try and find a way. Uh, I mean, we know arguably you know, the 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 Kai Thomases of the world's have have you know arguably more talent if you go by star rating and things like that um can can they find a way to earn some time move up that depth chart um or are we going to see a, a heavy dose of of trey potts and cam wiley um you know i i'll be curious to see i i you know i i didn't necessarily see mo breaking out his freshman year when he got his chance so you know, if if I had to be if I had to be asked right now, I'm a, I'm a little concerned just because obviously we know what Mo has done, and I don't think we've seen from either Potts or Wiley the same caliber of running. Um, but will I be shocked if if somebody comes out and and becomes a true number one back by midway through the season and earns that time? No, no, I won't. All right, kind of closing the book on the Ohio State game. Uh, I want to hear Nectons of the Week, um, and let's start with Street. Oh, on offense, is it 
Dalian or Dylan right? It's Dalon. Dalon, so neither. Doing doing real well. Uh, and <laughs> regardless on offense, I would say he would be the the next end of the week. I thought he did a, a solid job in stepping into the number one wide receiver position. My guess is that he will probably hold that against Miami unless something very strange happens. My assumption, at least now, is that Chris Ottman Bell will be unlikely to play because. Uh, Why would want, you? <laughs> don't want to ruin the foreshadow, but the expectation is that that is not going to be a game for which Chris Altman Bell is needed for the Gophers to win. So uh, on offense, that's probably the case. Uh, on defense, I'm going to say Jordan Howden, which is a somewhat strange pick because, if you recall, he was unfortunately injured in the game. But given the massive drop-off in safety play from Jordan Howden to the next guy, uh, I think he he held a lot of things together, so I would give it to him on defense. Uh, and a special, what, what is the opposite of a necton? I know we covered this at some point. A necton always goes forward, is that it? Uh, the Scott Frost play call of the week. Yeah, all right. Well, shout out to the to the line judge, the back judge, the head judge, uh, and the dude in the replay booth who uh, who today, uh, according to the Big Ten, admitted that they screwed up and missed the targeting call. Still not totally sure how you miss the targeting call when the player is literally knocked out on the field for about five seconds. Uh, but that that was pretty that was pretty phenomenally terrible work. So great to see that uh, Big Ten officiating, uh, especially on something where ostensibly the goal is player safety, continues to be like eh, whatever. Uh, yeah, I'll be honest. If I had, there was really only one thing coming out of the game that made me actually upset, and it was the entire situation around uh, uh, Mike Brown Stephens getting knocked out like I that whole be thing clear pissed that, me off that in in no way am i suggesting that minnesota would have like somehow won this game if the officiating uh-uh, had been no better. way none of, none of that is the case you the ohio state won because ohio state was the better team minnesota missed some chances whatever unquestionably that was uh, a ridiculous miss and further highlights why it is baffling to me at the college level especially, that coaches aren't allowed to challenge plays. For me, the the twist in the knife was that not only did they not call targeting, but they called a fumble, and he fumbled because he was unconscious. Yeah, it turns out it's hard to hold onto a ball when you have been smacked in the head in such a way as to keep it. It's unclear to me separately exactly where the magical football move is as well. That's neither here nor there because like what is a catch is a modern art piece most of the time anyway. But it is uh, it is simply unacceptable. I think that's the, the best thing. And by the way, this would be equally true if the Gophers had gotten away with targeting. I would feel exactly the same way. Uh, as as y'all on the podcast might recall, for those listening might recall, a few years back, uh, back when Jerry Kill was coaching and Jay Sava was the defensive backs coach, uh, the Gophers had sort of a string of targeting calls. And so I wrote this I wrote this thing for the blog sort of talking about how targeting represents kind of a fundamentally confusing thing about football, which is that there are hits that are totally legal in football, 
that are brutal and injury-inducing, and the notion of safety in a game that is fundamentally based around violence, and not just violence, but in many cases extreme violence, by which I mean when two players collide, that's usually the force of a minor car crash. So, you know, extreme violence in that way. What we police on that is, you know, is sort of a strange thing to think about. Uh, but to not get meditative on it, the whole point of targeting, if the claim is to improve player safety and this idea of like, what should the defensive back do in that situation? Uh, the answer is actually pretty clear, which is, uh, you know, go for the knees, which not necessarily that much better, uh, or more basically, like try and wrap up and don't attempt to just smash the ball out. That's the whole point of what that tackle is, is supposed to be. That is completely missed. I know that the targeting rules have been updated for this year. Last year, there's been some changes, but it's uh, in no universe does it make sense to me if you are going to say that uh, Mike Brown Stevens is not a defenseless receiver in that situation. I do not know what the concept of defenselessness means at all. And further, if he is a defenseless player and a defend defensive back goes up high and makes contact helmet to helmet contact the fact that he was aiming for the shoulder is irrelevant because the in targeting rule has never been about intent this leads to lots of challenges you know the offensive player ducks his head and it's the ducking of the head that leads to head to head overall the ruling seems to be pretty clear that that is irrelevant so if intent is irrelevant that is a targeting call the fact that it is not a targeting call on the field it not only is just absurd, but like just furthers this whole point of, you know, clearly you can you can be some conspiracy theorist, be like, oh, well, you know, they didn't want to call it at that late in the fourth quarter because then the guy would miss it against Oregon. I don't believe that either. I think those officials are just incompetent. And I think you can be incompetent in a lot of ways as an official on a football field. You cannot be incompetent when it comes to targeting. That is pathetic. Here, here. Blake, I'm I'm gonna go to you for your nectins. Uh, I, I can't really argue with Jordan Howden as the defensive nectin. I mean, I think the second half alone was proof of that. Um, I think people forget how impressive uh, the defense was in the first half. I mean, obviously the sky was falling after the 71-yard touchdown run, but they locked things down after that. And Terrell Smith, to his credit too, he, not only did he have the interception, but he had he played he was in a lot of man coverage with Chris Olave, and he held his own. In that first half, it was when the second half, when they realized Calvin Swenson was at safety, like, let's attack that guy. Um, but I was really impressed with yeah, both Howden and Trell Smith um, in that first half. Um, as far as offense is uh, concerned, you know, the easy one is probably Mo, who still got his yards even while missing, you know, an entire quarter of the game. Um, but also, I, I would say Brevin Span Ford. I think he had three receptions in the game. When was the last time we had a tight end with three receptions in a game? I mean, that may not seem like much, but you know they've been saying for years now that one, they want to get the tight ends more involved in the pass game, and two, Brevin Span Ford is a receiving threat. And I mean, I'll take that as a good first step in that game. And um, if he, they can add him as a receiving weapon along with you know Dalen Wright, Daniel Jackson, Chris Hoffman Bell, and even you know you'll probably see more Trey Potts out of the backfield uh, catching the balls. I think that's going to help Tanner Morgan uh, in the passing game. So, yeah, those are mine. I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure too, t- at least two of his three, if not all three, were f- catches for first downs. Yeah, and, I mean, they're right down the seam, too. Like, all, all good catches, and, yeah, I – 
but I was very happy to see that. And I think they used him a couple times, especially late after Mo left, um, to move the sticks. So yeah, that's a great point. Andy Nectons. Um, you know, I got to give it to Mo. Um, he he, you know, we we saw obviously he's not going to get any more this season. He he showed that he's you know he totally deserved it for what he did against that uh, or that Ohio State defense on offense. Um, you know, defensively, I, you know, you guys have both gone Howard and I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of somebody to go differently. Um, you know, I, I guess, I guess I really don't, don't have another one just to, to jump on. Obviously we, we did see the difference at Howard and I don't necessarily think there was a defensive lineman that truly stood out from the others. Um, you know, Jack Gibbons had a, had a good game, his first game as a gopher, but I don't think there was anything that really stood out uh, for his game. So I'll just be that, that person and say, uh, I guess I don't really have one on defense. You know, we've all been there, Andy. It, it happens. Uh, so I think it's important after a, a, you know, week one where Minnesota loses, even if we expected it or generally okay with the outcome, if not some of the details, uh, that we have a chance to laugh. And so I'd like to get everyone's take on what was the funniest thing that happened this week. It could be a schadenfreude feeling about a loss, you know, whatever. I, I have three that come to my mind. Uh, Illinois losing to UTSA. Um, great job, Brett Bielema. Well, Thank you. Well, that, one, that one's a twofold one, though, because you've got one, Brett Bielema losing to UTSA, but then you also have... Nebraska losing to a team week one that lost week two to UTSA. So that one I think is has a double. You do double get a two for you. You get a Scott Frost. You get a Scott laugh at Scott Frost as well. I was um, heartened to watch Northwestern get absolutely pantsed by what I still don't think is going to be that great of a Michigan State squad. That was certainly enjoyable. Uh, Graham Mertz for Wisconsin not being able to hand off the ball, which is like the only fucking thing you need to be able to do as a Wisconsin quarterback was, was pretty great. And also, I don't know if anybody was watching this late in the Miami Alabama game, but Miami gets a turnover down 27, nothing does the big turnover chain celebration, which I don't happen to mind. Uh, but I think doing it down 27, nothing's, you know, it's a, that's a choice. And then having to put the chain back because the turnover was overturned on replay. So I had four things. I was really excited. Anybody anybody else have something that really kind of tickled them, made them, made them giggle? Along the notes of Graham Mertz struggling, uh, Badger Nation kind of had a minor meltdown Sunday night watching Jack Cohn throw four touchdowns against uh, Florida State. You know, as you can recall, Jack Cohn was the one who's, who's basically driven out of Madison because Graham Mertz was the chosen one. So the weekend where Graham Mertz throws uh, fumble, has two one fumble in the end zone and throws a game-ending interception in the red zone. And you've got Jack Cohn, who is the, the prodigal son in exile, leading Notre Dame to win an overtime over Florida State. So it's definitely some, some shot and food there. Andy? Yeah, you know, uh, obviously all the Wisconsin stuff was was pretty good. Um, it, it, you know, it was interesting to see the uh, the Indiana fans on on Twitter all of a sudden <laughs> get get sort of taken down a, a shock in a hurry after Iowa just jumped all over them and and basically brought Indiana back to 2016 Indiana, not 20. 
twenty Indiana, and uh, that was that was sort of uh, interesting to see. Although it's never great when Iowa looks that good, but um, and it'll be interesting to see. You know, I'm looking forward to the uh, the unintentional humor we're going to get with El Asico being uh, being the game of the week this week, and uh, everybody just hyping up the entire state of Iowa, which is it, it's only going to end well. You know, you know something's going to happen that it's going to be just glorious. Street, what what made you smile? I mean, I was still raging about that targeting call. Clearly, the <laughs> I I don't know. I mean, I not so much last week, but am I correct that is it is it Shields who put out the heinous oh, Iowa God. State Iowa? That, my understanding is that Shields. Um, for for our listeners, um, you, you may be aware if you are not. And we are recording this on Tuesday, September eleventh. So this Saturday uh, is September eleventh, um, and so Shields, which is was the gas station sort of thing. I've been so no, Shields is the, that's the sporting goods store. Sporting goods store. God, North, I wish it was a gas North station. North Dakota store. and Iowa. Yeah, you can you can tell how often I'm in the Midwest anymore. Uh, put out uh, like, <laughs> like a sort of pin patch thing that has the twin towers in the back <laughs> for the to celebrate Iowa, the Iowa, Iowa State game. Iowa State game. Well, the game, the game, Why? the game is played on nine eleven, so that yeah, that's really, but, that's the connection there. Yeah, what I you know when I when I think when I think uh, the Cyhawk Trophy, I I of course think the the World Trade Center. That that's what pops into my head. So I guess not so much this. Uh, if that came out on the weekend, I'll use it. Otherwise, kind of carrying over the joy of college football into the uh, laughing at whatever marketing director was like, yeah, let's go with that. And they took it to their boss, like a person above them. And their boss in the Hannibal Burris line was like, yeah, okay, that's cool. You should run that. That would be my pick. <laughs> All right, so I suppose we should talk about Miami, uh, a game that, frankly, Minnesota's going to win. And if they don't, just I don't have words because uh, Miami seems pretty bad. But, I'm Blake, I'm kind of interested in trying to understand how bad and – is there anything at all we should be specifically concerned about? Well, I mean, right away you got to be pretty psyched. Uh, their wide receiver core, I can promise you, does not have any All-Americans. So right away, that's a plus. They do have an All-Mac receiver, Jack Sorensen, so he's he's one to watch out for. But uh, offensively, they're they're an interesting group. Last week they were missing their starting quarterback, um, Brett Gabbard. If you remember Blaine Gabbard, this is his little brother um, who actually led. Miami of Ohio to a MAC championship as a true freshman. Um, he was, he's had a bit of a bad luck. Last season he got banged up. They only played three games. I forget how ridiculous the MAC schedule was. Came into fall camp healthy, suffered a knee injury, recovered from that, and then right before this last game he apparently injured his thumb and did not play in the opener in his backup. Obviously against Cincinnati's formidable defense didn't fare well. Their all-MAC receiver Jack Sorensen only had two receptions all game, so I think they were pretty well effectively shut down and for some reason too they hit their top two running backs from 2019 sat out last season we're supposed to be back this season but but neither of them played uh this this week one game so i'm not sure what the situation is there they mustered all of seven offensive points against cincinnati week one they scored 14 because there was a pick six late in the game but uh 
Yeah, offensively, I, I don't think they're going to be as formidable as the Buckeyes week one. So right away, I think you'll be pretty psyched. They do have um, a couple of power five transfer players that had, had have had a couple have had some success. They got Ken, Kansas State transfer running back Keon Mosey, who had 80 yards rushing in week one. And they've got a Penn State receiver uh, named Mac Hippenhammer. I've never heard of him before until now. So, but must not have made very many waves at Penn State. But uh, so they had a couple transfer guys that might present some challenges for Minnesota's defense. But I think. This week, we should get a better idea of how good this defense is or how improved they are from last season compared to how they fared week one against uh, Ohio State. So that's at least on the offensive side of the ball. I'd say def- defensively, uh, I'm curious how Minnesota is going to attack Miami, Ohio, because I think a lot of people obviously are thinking with Mo gone, they've got a committee of running backs. They're really going to hit the ground game. But honestly, the the Red Hawk secondary is just basically begging Tanner Morgan to carve them up. Uh, they were... 110th nationally in pass defense last year, and they returned, uh, you know, four upperclassmen starters in secondary this season. So I think they're hoping for some improvement. But uh, Cincinnati dispelled of that notion fairly quickly. I think they launched um, an 80-yard touchdown pass the second play of the game. Um, and you know, to Red, in the Red Hawks' defense, they just don't have elite size and speed in secondary. So they spend a lot of time in zone coverage to avoid those mismatches in man coverage. But um, the Bearcats quarterback just carved him up in zone coverage, especially their wide receivers were just attacking those, those gaps in the zone coverage. So, I mean, you can imagine that Dalen Wright and Daniel Jackson and even Chris Houghton Bell, if he's going to play, are just ch- chomping at the bit to um, exploit the secondary. Um, so in general, I'm just curious uh, how Minnesota is going to approach attacking their defense, whether they're going to, you know, exploit the vulnerabilities in the secondary and give Tanner, Mor- you know, use Tanner Morgan lot or just you know, at the end of the day, they could just trust their their offensive line to eventually wear down this Miami Ohio offense and you know get their rotation running backs going and see what they've got there. So, um, I mean, like you said, this isn't a game that Minnesota should lose. I'm not very much concerned about it. If they obviously it's a huge concern if they do lose, but uh, I think this is a good team. I don't think they're going to have all that much trouble with Miami Ohio. I think it may at times be closer than people are comfortable with. Um, you know, we always have to have something to complain about, but I think at the end of the day, one team is clearly superior to the other. So the outcome should be a foregone conclusion here. It's nice to have options for how you can win a, win a game. Uh, and when those options are literally any offensive play should really result in good things. That's, that's a nice spot to be, honestly. Well, I, I, if I appreciate that we're finally to the point, too, where we can hopefully rely on Minnesota's offensive line to just impose their will on a team. Is, we've talked you know, ad nauseum that this is the most, the deepest, most experienced offensive line Minnesota's had in years. And I, I really, that's what I want to see on Saturday, probably. So I think that's what a lot of fans want to see is just them imposing their will on an inferior team and just letting those running backs run wild and hopefully um, get a better feel um, as they learn to carry the load. All right, Andy, there are two other fall teams that have been definitely, uh, I think, on our radar, uh, volleyball and soccer. Volleyball had a big weekend uh, in terms of opportunity. Can you talk a little bit about how that went for them? Yeah, so the uh, the Gopher volleyball team, uh, we've talked about it a little bit. They're, they're playing an absolute gauntlet of a non-conference schedule. Obviously, 
trying to prep themselves for the Big Ten schedule, which is going to be an epic slog as well. But uh, the Gophers started out with uh, number 10 Baylor, dropped that game, beat TCU, and then they had uh, two other ranked opponents last week. Uh, they opened up the PAV, the home season, with number one Texas. Uh, the Gophers unfortunately fell to them 3-1, to one, and then last Sunday they went down to Gainesville to take on number five Florida, also dropping that match 3-1. to one. Um Basically, the, the Gophers have, have struggled to put away teams. They've they in one of the sets against Texas and one of the sets against Florida had had you know pretty significant leads with two points to go, and and they allowed their opponents to make runs and and extend and, and pull away sets that the Gophers need to finish. Um, along with that, the Gophers are, are hurting a little bit in the middle. Um, they they lost most of their middle blockers from last year. Katie Myers, who was a Maryland transfer, who only played part of the season last year due to injury, is is back. But they just can't compete with some of these other teams that have talent across the board. And so, um, you know, you're you're seeing you're seeing the Gophers struggle a little bit against some of these top ten teams. Now they're going to be just fine when it comes to probably the bottom half of the Big Ten. But arguably, you could say that this isn't. This isn't going to be one of these Gopher teams that ends up finishing, you know, fifth in the country. They're probably more uh, a mid-teen to low-teen type team. Uh, could get go on a run, get hot, and but uh, I, I don't think um, I don't think this is going to be one of those teams that ends up getting back to the uh, to the final four unless they can figure out some way to just click here once we get into the conference season. Uh, they get two more huge tests this weekend. Uh, they had to go out to the uh, Big Ten Pac-12 Challenge out in Eugene, Oregon. Uh, they take on number 20 Stanford Friday night, and then they get the host, number 13 Oregon, on Saturday. So two more ranked opponents before the Gophers finally come home uh, and play a couple of cupcakes before the start of the Big Ten season. So uh, we'll see if Minnesota can try and pull off a, a ranked win uh, this weekend and really trying to avoid starting the season one and five, which sort of will put you in a hole, especially when you start looking at comparisons and CAA tournament wise, things like that. But, uh, yeah, it's not been a, a great start for, uh, for human Cutchins team so far. Soccer. Um, they were, you know, kind of running undefeated, although several of those were draws for a while. Uh, how they, how they continued to play. Yeah, if you're looking for the highlight of the fall season so far, it's definitely been the women's soccer team. Uh, Aaron Chastain, uh, Gopher alum, took over the program this summer, and uh, she's still undefeated. The Gophers sit at 3-0-2 through their first five games, one of just five undefeated teams left in the country. Uh, in fact, they have not given up a goal yet this year. Uh, they've thrown five clean sheets. Uh, they are one of only three Big Ten teams in history to ever start the season with five shutouts. And Chastain is one of only, I believe it's four or five coaches in Big Ten history to start the season with five straight wins. So uh, the Gophers are, are impressing so far this season. In fact, uh, their their goaltender, uh, Megan Plashko, was awarded the uh, Big Ten Coco Clippy of the Week this week. Uh, she made nine big saves against Mississippi State last week and then also shut out Wyoming, although that one was less complicated as Wyoming didn't have a shot on goal the entire game. So uh, not much you really had to do on that one. But uh, the fact that you know the Gophers are, are undefeated through their non-conference, they've got two more non-conference games. They head down Thursday night to Omaha to face uh, the Mavericks. 
uh, and then they come home Sunday to face North Dakota before the Big Ten starts the week after that. So uh, definitely a good chance if the Gophers can play at the end this year that they could finish the non-conference season undefeated, possibly even, you know, not have given up a goal in the entire non-conference season, which has got to be a big big boost as they're getting ready for the Big Ten, where they were predicted to finish 10th in the conference. Um, We'll see how, how that success in the non-conference transitions once they start playing a much tougher schedule in the conference. But so far, so good for the uh, Gopher soccer team. All right, well, as is tradition, we shall close out with the airing of predictions. Uh, U-Street obviously is not doing predictions. He is instead choosing a betting stance related to the game and asking you to either agree or disagree with him. Uh, and see who's smarter at the end of the season. Street, what is your uh, betting stance for the uh, Miami game? Purely looking at the line, bet the cover. But this week, the uh, specific bet will, so for the prediction, will be bet the cover. The specific bet to agree or disagree on this week, I am saying that whatever the total point expectation so let's say the number is 50 bet the over all right that's the combined point total of both teams at 50 i would bet the over blake what do you have got minnesota 38 miami for house 17 i'm sure we'll hear more about why in your opponent preview coming up keep your eyes peeled for that on the blog, Andy. Uh, for what it's for what it's worth, for Street, the current total right now is fifty six and a half for uh, Minnesota and Miami, Ohio. Bet the over. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think the Gophers will play well. Miami, Ohio uh, didn't look good against Cincinnati last week. Obviously, Cincinnati is probably better than the Gophers. Uh, but Minnesota does have some talent. It'll be interesting to see as as Blake was talking earlier uh, how how. P.J. Fleck and Mike Sanford want to run the offense. Are they just going to try and uh, use this game as a, as a proving ground for their new running backs, or are they actually going to open things up? Um, you know, depending upon how that goes, I could see the game going a couple different ways, uh, but I do think they'll put some points on the board. So uh, I'll go Minnesota wins this one, uh, let's say 34-13. I've decided to be a bit more pessimistic, not generally, as I don't really think this particular game is going to be a harbinger of anything, uh, you know, bad for the season. It's going to be, this is more a reflection on, I just kind of feel like this is going to be similar to 2019, where some of these early games are going to be work the kinks out time. Uh, I'm going 35, Minnesota 35, Miami 24, as the defense just gives up some cheap ones here and there in a game they otherwise play fairly well in. Um, I would not expect to see <laughs> anyone pick against Minnesota when you see the uh, uh, staff predictions post come out, but who knows? Um, you know, Zips has been on uh, something already this year, so who knows what he'll do. Uh, and with that, we wrap up another edition of the Sky U podcast. Uh, looking forward to... Uh, continuing to enjoy the season with all of you. Um, Looking forward to a win on Saturday. And in the meantime, go Gophers. Sky Yuma, row the boat.